0: And on this week's show, we focus on the FIFA Women's World Cup again with the African teams all out now after the continent's best-ever tournament. We hear from South Africa defender Nomi Hoale.
1: Football is heartbreaking, and this is the moment where my heart is broken. That, that's all I can say.
0: Uh, That's coming up shortly, also lots on the English Premier League as Stuart looks ahead to the new season and he analyses the implications of the increased stoppage time where referees will now give additional time matching the delays in the game. So the African interest is over at the FIFA Women's World Cup in New Zealand and Australia Uh, but there were three African teams in the knockout stage for the first time although those round of 16 matches were just too tough. While Nigeria did reach the quarterfinals back in 1999, uh, the tournament had just 16 teams then, rather than 32, and there was no round of 16, so they went from the group stage straight to the quarterfinals. That means no African team has ever won a knockout match at the Women's World Cup, but having three teams in the knockout stage this time means there's no doubt that this is Africa's best ever Women's World Cup. Although maybe we thought that it could have been even better. Well, Nigeria, we're in a great battle with England, losing on penalties after a goalless 120 minutes. Here's the Super Falcons coach, Randy Waldrum. We can be and probably should be one of the top teams in the world. You know, I I certainly hope that FIFA ranking uh, goes from 40 to a a, a better number than that. But uh, more importantly, I I think we've just shown that we're capable of, of playing with anybody. I think what you saw a little bit today maybe was England having a little bit more uh experience in playing these kind of matches and being able to handle playing a man down and managing the game in the ways that, you know, you have to learn how to manage those matches. And I think maybe we saw a little bit of experience, you know, with that today. Maybe that's where we felt just a little bit short. And, um, I don't know what they thought we would do, but we anticipated that they thought we would sit back like we did the first two or three matches. And... Um, I thought we really pressed him well. That's Nigeria coach Randy Waldrum and uh, so close for the Super Falcons, Ida.
2: So close, Steve. I mean, it took hitting the crossbar twice and then going into penalties to stop Nigeria. But overall, it just wasn't their time. Sad as it is for the fans, myself included, <laughs> it just wasn't. But what a valiant, valiant effort. And of course, there is no escaping that stomping incident between Nigeria's Michelle Alosier and England's Lauren James. I mean, that's all Twitter has been talking about this week. But focusing on the team and once again, what a good job by the ladies. Their group stage was also quite commendable. They'd kept two clean sheets against some impressive teams, you know, amongst them, Canada, who are Olympic champions. They are ranked seventh in the world. And the Super Falcons also had to come from behind when they beat home team Australia. And that was in front of a crowd of about 49,000 people. And they finished the group unbeaten. It's quite unfortunate, Steve, to have to take this on a negative tangent. But the worst thing is that instead of the ladies taking a very well-deserved rest after their good work, that the Super Falcons now have to take on another almost, you know, Herculean task of trying to get their long overdue pay from the Nigerian Football Federation. This is the part that really hurts, you know. Fifth Pro issued a statement the morning after Nigeria's exit, saying that it was time to speak out, you know, some would say maybe a bit late, but nevertheless, saying that it was time to speak out and defend the players, making sure that their contractual rights are honored and that outstanding payments are settled. By reaching the round of 16, Each player, Steve, should get $60,000 as prize money from FIFA. So the NFF, of course, responded, and in quite the belligerent way, not surprising at all. It's just so shameful, really, that after garnering the world's respect, that the Super Falcons now have to go and fight enemies within.
0: Yes, hopefully that financial dispute will be resolved quickly. Now, South Africa had a tough round of 16 game against the Netherlands, and they went down by a respectable 2-0 scoreline. Here's Banyana Banyana's Spain-based defender, Nomvula Nomi Hoale, speaking to reporters after the game. The audio from the South Africa Football Association.
1: I feel extremely sad. I, I, I can only say that I'm almost going to burst into tears I think about tonight, I will cry. Definitely in my room. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so sad because you just know how good you are. And had we just buried our chances, I think we could have been having a different conversation right now, me and you. Um, a football is a game of moments. Only the present moment counts. Could have, should have been. It doesn't count right now, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm saying... We could have buried our chances, but does it count now? Because the game is over. But in the moment, when you are presented with an opportunity, you've got to use it. And if you don't, this is the kind of conversations we're going to have. But then again and again, if you are a footballer, if you are a sports person, we all know that these things happen. They are Football is heartbreaking. And this is the moment where my heart is broken. That, that's all I can say and i think as south africans every single time an opposition scores against us we tend to you know be a little slumped and you know get our shoulders down and be sad about it we we find it difficult to come back right away to be you know awakened that we got to do something about it but we really tried we showed character and we showed that we really wanted to be back you know get back into the game but it was it was just one of those things where it's like Use your opportunity now or else it's gone. We made history, men or women. Nothing like this has ever happened. So we've got something to be really proud of. At the same time, I mean, we've got higher standards. We expected better and we wanted more.
0: How do you describe the whole thing, the whole experience?
1: Mystical, mystical. There isn't anything else that matches it. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, mystical. I can't put it in words. Yeah. Every single time I I stepped on the field, I felt like I was... I couldn't. I can't say cloud nine because I'm trying to find words, but it's so difficult. I mean, all, oh, every single time, I feel like I'm fulfilling something in me. And so every single touch I made, every single run, every single voice I heard, every single moment, it was out of this world for me, yes.
2: In the game against Argentina, <laughs> when I spoke to you You were very harsh on yourself and on the team to say you could do better. And we saw that uh, against Italy, but now today it didn't come to fruition. But do you think as a team you've improved uh, over the years?
1: Over the years, yes. Now we are more pompous. We know what we want from ourselves. We have standards. Now it's no longer about rankings or looking at a team as, as larger than life that you cannot be able to reach or you cannot be able to challenge. Now it's a different story. I'm a player, you are a player, I'm a human being, you're a human being. We are equals. All that's left on the field is that the ball is rolling. It could go either way. So that's the mentality. It could go either way. And today was a perfect example. You know, it could have went either way. That's why I say we could have been having a different conversation. But then the present moment is of absolute importance in football. It speaks of the growth of women's football. It speaks of the growth of uh, individual players as well, the amount of work that we put behind the scenes that when no one else is watching, um, the team in general, the mentality that... We are going to get what we deserve, what's ours, because you know that day in, day out, you put in the hard work. And when you step on that field, you know that the work that you put in, you've got to show the results. Or else you're going to be angry at yourself. Like against Argentina, I was mad. I could not believe that we we got a draw when we knew very well that we could have gotten a win, for example. But then when you don't get the results, that's where heartbreak comes in because you know how hard you've grafted to get to this point.
2: And this is all happening in South Africa. is not professional league, uh, so where are from here?
1: All I can say is the journey is not over. Serena Williams has tried time and time and again to get 24 Grand Slams. Time and time and again she fell short, but she kept trying and trying and trying because it just wasn't enough for her until she just decided to let it go. For us, it's the same thing. Yes, this is the biggest stage in the world, but the journey's not over. We've got the Olympics, we've got the USA, the international friendly that's coming up. It's a big deal for us because we've got to show something there, right? It's a test. So there's so many things that are upcoming. Uh, I'm not short-sighted, so I'm looking, you know, ahead that maybe even, you know, some of the players can receive offers from these good teams because we have really got, have got brilliant players. So the journey is interesting. I'm really, really looking forward to see what's going to happen beyond this tournament.
0: That's South Africa's Spain-based defender, Nomvula Nomi Kowale, speaking to reporters after the 2-0 loss to the Netherlands. uh, That audio from the South Africa Football Association. Amazing interview there, all about the passion of representing your country. Um, So either it uh, could easily have been more for South Africa, Uh, there will be questions about letting leads slip in games, but uh, so many positives too.
2: Definitely more positives than negatives for me, Steve. And on what the team needs to improve on, well, if there's one team that's shown that they can learn from their mistakes and improve, it's South Africa. From going home at the last World Cup without a win, without a single point, to this World Cup getting to the knockout round, a first for South Africa by the way, be it the men or the women, and For the women specifically, this is an addition to their first Wafkan title last year. Simply amazing. And look, their Dutch opposition, well, it was no small team. I mean, this is a team ranked 9th in the world. And rankings aside, it is a team that topped its group ahead of back-to-back defending champions United States, who, you know, granted, are on a bit of a decline. Banyana's amazing run aside, Steve, I love the conversations that this performance has stirred up. Not forgetting, of course, that South Africa is bidding to host the 2027 Women's World Cup. So between these two major things, the country really needs to improve the state of its women's football. You know, it's interesting to see the likes of SAFA president, Danny Yodan, leading praises for Banyana, knowing full well the obstacles that the federation put in the team's way, and that even in Australia and New Zealand, the ladies had just come from another row over pay with SAFA. Look, times are moving, Steve, and it's not going to cut it anymore for South Africa's biggest claim to fame in football to be that they hosted the Men's World Cup. A monumental achievement that few can accomplish, by the way. You know, no one can take that away from them, but they do need to put in a bit more gear to professionalize the women's league. I mean, the men's game is overflowing with sponsorship. And for a country like South Africa to have started a women's league only in 2019 is beyond shocking and frankly, disappointing. A few clubs sure have professional women's teams. I mean, we saw the Sundowns ladies, for example. They clinched the 2022 CAF Women's Champions League. So some positive flashes here and there, but I maintain more needs to be done. In terms of the bid, well, South Africa will be up against Brazil, as well as two joint host bids one from Mexico and the U.S. together, and the other a combined one from Belgium, Netherlands, and Germany. SAFA officials actually met with FIFA in Sydney on Thursday to state their case as potential hosts for the World Cup in 2027. Banyana Banyana has been such a fixture in African women's football, and you know their story, right? well, until last year at least, getting to the finals and losing time and time again. You know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride sort of thing. And it's been this way for so long that we forget that the first national team played just three decades ago. And I'm going to give you a bit of a throwback anecdote here, Steve. (laughs) Well, the first ever banana banana game was in 1993. That was when they beat Swaziland 14-0. Now coach, then player, Desiree Ellis, well, she actually lost her 9-5 to job, if you will, as a result of that game. So she used to sell spices at a meat market, right? And when she was late to work because the bus got a puncture on the way back, she got fired. (laughs) But I mean, look at her now.
0: Uh, Well, what a story. Well done to South Africa. Uh, Thanks, Ida. Uh, So elsewhere, Morocco went out 4-0 to France in the round of 16, but uh, a memorable debut tournament for them, while Zambia went out in the group stage but still managed to win at their debut Women's World Cup. So no doubt this was a really great tournament for women's football in Africa. Well this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on Arsenal's win in the Community Shield. And you can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. And there we've got a new blog about the faith of Liverpool forward Cody Gakpo, who says it's about learning how to live your life with the gifts that God has given you. That's on our website, planetsport.tv, and you'll find it in the blog section. Let's go to social media now. And last week we asked who do you think will be the best African player in the English Premier League this season? Uh, Lots of interesting moves for African players into the Premier League uh, with Senegal's Nicolas Jackson joining Chelsea. uh, Cameroon's Andre Onana moving to Manchester United. uh, Luton signing Burkina Faso wing back Issa Kabore, And Nigeria defender Calvin Bassi joining Fulham. Uh, so we asked with the likes of Mohamed Salah and Thomas Partey there too, who do you think will be the best African player in the Premier League this season? Well, had lots of different suggestions here. We start with a Balong Baji in the Gambia. belong says, ''Mohamed Salah still stands out for me, but he will have stiff competition from other African players.'' And in Nigeria, Olan Rewaju-Lawal says, yes, it's going to be King Salah as usual for me. Uh, Dawada Keita in France says, watch out for Thomas Partey this season, not only as the best African, but as the best player in the whole league this season, says Dawada. Uh, Certainly Partey with a big role to play at Arsenal, but with uh, more competition now with Declan Rice coming in uh, for that uh, huge transfer fee. Also backing Thomas Partey is Austin Mwaura in kenya uh, but saying he will be under stiff competition from declan rice uh, kenny Onefade in nigeria says it's taiwo awani and Sudeko suna in the gambia says my favorite this season is andre onana while in nigeria tochuku Kamnes says onana all the way but the most popular suggestion was Nicholas Jackson. Uh, Christian in Senegal says that Jackson will be the best African player this season in the Premier League. Uh, Julanding Chelsea Jane in the Gambia says, I'm going for Jackson with all due respect to Mo Salah. I've been following Chelsea in the pre-season. I've seen some Drogba in Jackson's movement, the pass and running behind the defenders, and he's always hungry for goal, which is interesting and amazing. And the Blues all the way, says Julian Ding. Mustafa Bangura-Bangs in Sierra Leone says Jackson is the best of all. And a finally, Trend C. Calvin Walter in Liberia says Jackson is the man. Very technical and good at upsetting defenses, says Walter. So we'll make a note of this and we'll see if Jackson does indeed live up to big expectations. Well, thanks very much for all of those comments and always great to hear from you. And this week on the show, we're asking, are you in favour of more stoppage time? So this season in the English Premier League, there'll be what's called World Cup stoppage time, uh, where referees will give additional time matching the delays in the game, as at the World Cup in Qatar last year and at the ongoing Women's World Cup. This can typically result in stoppage time of as much as 10 minutes at the end of the game, even more so sometimes uh, arsenal won the community shield last sunday on penalties after an equalizer in the 101st minute uh, some players have said that it will make the season even more exhausting so are you in favor of more stoppage time you can post a comment on our facebook page that's planet sport football africa or send us a whatsapp to +447955232780 that's +447955232 780. Are you in favour of more stoppage time? Let's go to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. Um, What do you make of this, Stuart?
3: Well, Steve, there seems to be very little enthusiasm uh, for the plan for games to be longer. As you say, we saw that first really in the World Cup in Qatar with an average of 11 minutes, 22 seconds additional time. And if you go back 12 years to that wonderful World Cup in South Africa, it was an average of four minutes, 46. And last weekend, we had the opening set of games in the three divisions of the English Football League. And the average game there lasted 105 minutes, 33 seconds. That's 15 and a half minutes added on compared to seven minutes last season. Double last year's average. And if you happen to have the misfortune of going to the Northampton Town-Stevenage game, it finished 112 minutes, 36 seconds after it started. 22 minutes and 36 seconds added on. Now, the change is well-intentioned to give spectators value for money. Last year, the average time the ball was in play in the Premier League was 54 minutes 52 seconds not much more than half the playing time at the world cup in qatar with their changes there was three minutes more actual playing time and part of the campaign is that referees have been asked to show yellow cards for time wasting like kicking the ball away failing to retreat when a free kick is conceded delaying restarts i think that is all good but player reaction has been pretty negative. Kevin De Bruyne, speaking after the Community Shield game, said he had spoken to several players and even the match officials and none of them was in favour of having 15 minutes extra time. His manager, Pep Guardiola, said, with midweek games, we'll still be playing at breakfast time. And then Pep added, the plan is to add on 45 seconds for every goal scored for the goal celebration. Let's take a 4-3 game. We're adding on five extra minutes just because the goals were scored. Rafa Varane, Manchester United defender and World Cup winner with France, said he had recently retired from international football mainly because of the increasing demands of players' workload. But it's not just football, because Test Cricket... A day's play is six hours, but normally it overruns by an hour. An NFL game, which is 60 minutes playing time, often takes three hours to play. But I really didn't think this would be introduced into football. In England, there's a really practical problem. There's a big tradition of fans going to watch away games, often travelling by train. And there's a real risk that away fans will either have to leave before the end of the game or risk missing their train. I understand the problem, but I don't think playing 15 to 20 minutes extra is the solution.
0: Well yeah quite a controversial one you can tell us what you think uh, on our social media on our Facebook page Planet Sport Football Africa uh, or send us a WhatsApp to +447955232780 that's +447955232780 are you in favor of more stoppage time uh, well Stuart the community shield uh, last sunday it was uh, exciting lots of stoppage time there indeed uh, as you say uh, arsenal beating man city on penalties anything we can learn from the game
3: well arsenal won the community's shield on penalties after a one-all and a lot is being made of arsenal winning a trophy and of arsenal beating Manchester city but i'm not sure i would read that much into a result given that arsenal equalized in almost the last minute with a deflected goal and that city with a better team for most of the game I certainly think we learnt a great deal for the coming season from that game. And yes, we have to start with Arsenal's goal coming in the 11th minute of stoppage time. And early in the game, Ghanaian Thomas Partey was called for a foul, pretty innocuous foul, and he reacted by just kicking the ball away, as Premier League players do. Not violently, just to stop City taking a quick free kick. He was immediately shown a yellow card. Shortly afterwards, another player, a City player, was also shown a yellow card for time-wasting. Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager, was incensed by a tackle on one of his players and started waving an imaginary yellow card at the referee, who produced the yellow card but showed it to Arteta. Personally, I am delighted ...to see this because kicking the ball away has always been a yellow card offence, ...but referees have tended to ignore it. And I'm glad to see this being restored and it will result in more yellow cards but less time-wasting.
0: So it's a trophy for Arsenal anyway. Uh, What do you think about the brand new season, Stuart? Well, games on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And depending on where you live,
3: Steve, you might be able to watch seven different games live as kickoffs are staggered for maximum TV coverage. The game of the weekend is Chelsea at home to Liverpool on Sunday afternoon, a massive game for both clubs. Chelsea, after a disastrous season, finishing 12th, will be desperate for a fast start to the season under their new manager, Mauricio Pochettino. But the bad news this week for Chelsea is that their new French striker, Kunku, has injured his knee in a pre-season game in America and will be out for several months. Their opponents, Liverpool, also have something to prove, finishing fifth last season. And since they last played, they've lost Jordan Henderson, James Milner, Roberto Firmino, Fabinho and Naby Cater, with so far only Alexis McAllister, their only major signing so far. So you could really ask whether Liverpool are going backwards. Tottenham are away to Brentford, But will Harry Kane be in the team, with speculation growing that he's leaving for Bayern Munich? And finally, I think many of us will be looking to see how Luton Town do away to Brighton. Luton Town, back in the top division after 31 years. Oh, Steve, it's great to have the Premier League back.
0: (laughs) Indeed it is. And uh, one constant theme throughout uh, last season here on Planet Sport Football Africa uh, was managers being fired. Uh, One has gone even before the start of this season, Stuart. Steve, what I was preparing
3: earlier in the week for the programme, I was going to mention that Wolves had seen 23 players leave this summer with just three coming in. And it appears I wasn't the only person to notice this, because the Wolves manager, Julian Loptegui, has given that as the major reason why he has resigned, leaving the club after just seven months. He was appointed at Christmas with Wolves bottom of the table and took them to 13th place, but now he's gone. While Wolves have received about $115 million in transfer fees. The manager was apparently told he could spend no more than £20 on any one player and that his list of transfer targets were unrealistic. Ironically, Loptegui was apparently the owner's first choice as manager when they bought the club. It took them seven years to persuade him to come. Then (laughs) in seven months he's gone. And for me, this is the second time the Wolves' owners have made a stupid decision over a manager. Remember them parting company with Nuno in 2021 after he'd got the club promoted to the Premier League and followed that by two seventh-place finishes. Owners never learn. Lovtegui is going because he thinks the squad is not good enough and the owners won't let him strengthen it. And Wolves have appointed Gary O'Neill as his replacement. The only positive in this sad story is it's good to see a young English manager being given a chance. And we've talked about Gary O'Neill. I thought he did an excellent job keeping Bournemouth in the Premier League last season, only to be fired at the end of it. But Steve, if we've lost the first manager before the season starts, it's not a good omen for managerial stability.
0: Uh, No, lots of pressure, no doubt, once again this season. It's going to be a big one. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. So from Eastie Vickers in Zimbabwe, uh, from Stuart Weir and from Ida Waringa, thanks a lot for listening. Enjoy the football this weekend. And Planet Sport, Football Africa is a passion for sport production.